Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. There are five words that we have, especially during communion, And we've been talking about the principle of breaking or brokenness. But first, let me pray for you. I want you to understand I'm not running up and down. Uh, Your eyes is not focused upon me. But listen to the words because we're just instruments of God's blessing and healing. It's all about Jesus. And I want you to appropriate all of the blessings of what you come to that wonderful realization, particularly in the time we would be breaking bread. Welcome those that are here and those that are watching. For those that are watching, this is going to be a communion time, so prepare the, the bread and the juice so we could, you could join with us in the communion. So before we do that, I just want to pray. Father, we want to give thanks to you, and that's what we have come here for, to appreciate you, to love you, to give worship and praise, adoration, power and dominion. It's all yours. And we want to thank you for your love, wherewith you have loved us with an everlasting love and with cords of loving kindness you have drawn us unto yourself. We thank you because it's love in action, bringing Jesus Christ our Lord. And you have lifted him up high above every other name. That of the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory and to your honor. So we come, O God, to proclaim your greatness, your power, your omnipotence, your omnipresence and omniscience. You are God Almighty, our Father, Daddy in heaven. Bless your people this morning because of the accomplished work of the cross by Jesus Christ. That, Lord, it involves transgressions. It involves iniquities washed away because of what Jesus did. It involves peace of mind by his chi- because of his chastisement. It involves healing of the inner man, of the soul, body, spirit, in every aspect of our life. Because Jesus was stripped because and for our healing. Now, dear Lord, I just pray that everyone that are in need, you meet the need. And precious ones, even as they are lifting up their loved ones to you, Lord, we speak the word and send forth the word of healing. Lift up your name, O God, and may we enjoy your presence and enjoy the wonderful, awesome power of praise to you. Our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, God's people said, Amen and amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. Five words that would mean a blessing, particularly as we take communion. Five words that Jesus in his action, particularly with the miracle of feeding the 5,000 or 7,000 to different incidents, involves those five actions. And particularly today, when Jesus is here with us as we break bread, as we partake of the communion in a short while, we're reminded of these words that Jesus, our Lord, spoke 
and the five actions when it comes to communion. We'll explore that in just a moment before we partake of the emblem of God's great love, grace, and even sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Welcome once again for this time together that we can enjoy His presence. And now for the Word of God. I want you to understand we began with a series on brokenness about the burden of the Lord. And this brokenness is so important in the last couple of uh, studies we've been doing that. But I want us to understand simply what it actually enunciated what the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 44 about the stone. For those of us who willingly come into the very presence of the altar or the stone or the rock, the very presence of Jesus, willing to break ourselves, willing to humble ourselves rather than be proud than the stone knocking us down into powder. It simply means we come to that place of humility, recognition, and acceptance of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we realize what it means when our Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, daily taking up that cross. A life of brokenness, like repentance, is not a once and for all experience. It's every day of our life. It's every time we go to bed, we come to that place where we offended the Lord, where we offended someone. We seek the Lord's repentance, a sense of brokenness, every aspect of our life, because in our time when we are emptying, it's a time of being full. It's a time of being under to be able to go up and about. And I want you to understand to the depth we go in humility, to that height we rise in spirituality. So we realize the words of Jesus Christ, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, because all of these Gospels talk about it. We talked about it in chapter 4, really in verse 26, telling about what would be the, uh, the, uh, the word. Uh, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. Now, what he sows is about a seed that is sown, but it has to die. So in verse 26, 27, it goes on to say, is first it rises up, you sleep, wake up, you go about your business, and verse 28 particularly tells you how it does. The seed dies first, and then it begins to bear first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn, and so it comes about. Our Lord Jesus Christ spoke about this, particularly with regard to the seed. John chapter 12, verse 23 to 25 goes, but just suffice for the time, verse 24. Here is what the Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 12 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit, whether it is 30, 60, or a hundredfold. But it must first fall and die. So when you think about this, hold that thought for a moment. The life of Christ walking the Spirit, walking in repentance, walking in brokenness, to be able to fill, be full, and as we understand, as we rise up with the Lord in a sense of humility. Listen to what the Bible says, particularly these five words that would be very meaningful to us today. 
and then we'll conclude with what would be what he does towards the end. I was not able to finish at the 8 o'clock, so obviously we'll be just with three words, and then I'll finish the last two, God willing, next Sunday. First, let me tell you about communion. Uh, when you look at uh, the, the scriptures, let's begin with Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. This is when the Lord Jesus Christ was with his disciples, and you're going to find specifically what he did in bringing out the emblems of his sacrifice. And as they were eating, Jesus took, that is number one, the bread. Number two, what he took, he blessed. And then what he blessed, number three, he broke. And that we talk about brokenness. Number four, what he took, what he blessed, what he broke, he gave to the disciples. So the fourth is he gives. And number five, we find he takes and he tells his people to distribute. That's found in John chapter 6, verse 11. And the word is distribute or multiply. Now, when you go to chapter Mark, uh, particularly in chapter 14 and verse 22, from the point and the vantage point of Mark, he's talking about this. And as they did eat, again, look at what it says. Jesus took the bread blessed it, break it, gave, number four, to his disciples and said, this is my body. When you look from what Luke is writing about, you can read that in Luke chapter 22 and listen to what he says in verse 19. Here you find, as they did eat, Jesus took, uh, and, as, uh, and as he took the bread, gave thanks. So he took the bread, number one, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave to the disciples, this is my body which is broken for you, which is given for you, this too in remembrance of me. Now that also he repeats in John. All the four gospel writes about the communion and particularly about this action. Let's read John and then you read John chapter 6, you're going to find verse 10 and verse 11. Here in this passage, and Jesus, uh, oh no, so, sorry, uh, in, basically in this passage in John, we'll do the miracles, but let's just go to this uh, very important aspect of miracle that he does. Uh, but just go back to Luke chapter 24, we uh, did Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 24 and reading from verse 30, you find that Jesus now is not with just the entire company of disciples, but two disciples on their way to Emos, and they turned around. But here it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took the bread, he blessed, he broke, and gave it to them, these two disciples, and their eyes were opened. Now what you find is Paul, who wasn't there physically with the twelve, he was a disciple, apostle born to, uh, in due time, but preferred about mo most of them, listen to what he says, because this comes by way of revelation that he writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. Now he's writing this from the point of revelation that the Holy Spirit had given him, even though he was not physically participant in that passage. So when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he break. And he said, take it, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. These words become important, particularly as we meditate and ponder upon it before we partake in the communion. But let me just 
as a side, talk about what he did, not simply with the bread and wine, we'll come back to that, but also in the miracles that he did. And what is so interesting is, you find the same action in the miracles with bread and fish. So if you were to take Matthew chapter 14 and verse 21, this is what he does when it comes to 5,000 people that he's fed. Look at the action that he does. In Matthew chapter, uh, uh, here in 14 and 21, they had eaten, there were about 5,000 besides. So earlier if you go, particularly verse 19, you're going to find this action. He had, uh, he had sat down and he took the five loaves, the two fishes, and looking up to any, blessed them, break and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So there's a distribution. So number one, he is basically taking the bread, take. Number two, he is blessing it. Number three, he is breaking it. Number four, he gives to his disciples. Number five, he is giving distribution to the multitudes, a multiplication. When you turn to Mark, and very interesting, in chapter 6 and verse 44, this again from point of view of Mark, he writes and he says in Mark, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 44, he's, uh, we're in Matthew, uh, and they did eat the loaves about 5,000. And if you were to go down to verse 40, you would find the same action that he does. So, set down by ranks, and verse 41 goes on to say, this is what Jesus did. Number one, he had taken the five loaves, he had took the five fishes, he looked up to and blessed, and then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, and then he divided them among all. So there was a multiplication by division as he gives it out. Now listen to what Luke also writes about this in Luke chapter 9, and when you read verse 14, his point of view, what Jesus said, for there were about 5,000 people, and he said to disciples, make them sit down, and so he begins in the next couple of verses, he basically takes the bread, and he takes, and he breaks, blesses them, he breaks them, he, he gives them, and he distributes it. Now we come down to what we basically went into John, John chapter 6. Let's read verse 10. This is how John describes this miracle. And all of the disciples, all of the four uh, gospel writers write this miracle as well. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. And there was much grass, so the men sat down, a number of about 5,000 people. Look at what it says in verse 11. And remember these words. The first one, Jesus took the bread. Number two, when he had given thanks, or he blessed it. Number three, he distributed the disciples, distributed and the disciples, them that were set down, and likewise, the fish as much as they would. So there was a sense in this. He's talking about distribution and multiplication. What I want us to understand, the miracle of uh, the bread and those speaks to us exactly like in some way giving great respect to the communion in what we look at the bread and Jesus is the bread. He talks about that in John chapter 9. It becomes a controversial thing because these are the hard sayings of Jesus. They basically could not understand. He talked about that he's the living bread uh, far greater than the manna that fell in the wilderness in that 400 uh, in that 40 years of wilderness. But here you find what specifically is Jesus is unless a person eats. And when we come to this communion, we come to not in the literal sense, but understanding what it would mean to us. Jesus is the living bread. The Father gifted us. He gave us, but the Father also broke that bread for you and for me. 
And not only that, after breaking, he basically gives to us, and we are able to go out after, after having the, and enjoying the wonderful presence of the Lord to be able to distribute him to many others outside. I want us to realize when we come to this passage, we need to realize the great awesomeness of that miracle coincides with the five words that we find in the communion as well. So if you were to look from Matthew's point of view, there's three times, uh, one time to 5,000, the other time to 7,000, and then to the 12 called the Last Supper. The first aspect you find is uh, in Matthew chapter 14. You can read from verse 16 all the way to 20. You could take, uh, they need not depart, give them bread. By the time you come to verse 20, 21, he basically is having them. Uh, they all ate, and he takes the bread and distributes, and there were 12 baskets full. But when you come to chapter 15 of Matthew and verse 36, this is particularly to the 7,000. The other one was a separate incident with 5,000. But again, look at the words. He took the bread, and then he gave thanks. He broke it gave to his disciples and the disciples of the multitude. Let me just break it down. Number one, he took. Number two, he gave thanks or blessed it. Number three, he broke what he took and what he blessed, and he broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples and the disciples to the multitudes to be multiplied. These five points become very important. Let me just break down these five as much as we can before we go to the communion. Number one is he took. So Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, he took the bread. And when we realize the word took simply means selected the bread. I want you to understand the father selected the living bread. That uniqueness of that son, one in person, in a sense. And we find though being God, made himself of no reputation, and came down. When you think about the Lord Jesus, I want you to understand, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by him. But by the time you come to the, uh, this Christmas season, we're going to find the Word became flesh, and we realize what takes place. He lived among men. He walked among men. And the reason was, he was given as the greatest gift, blessed of God, and then broken. Jesus took that bread. The, Lord, uh, the Father took that bread. The Father blessed that bread. And the Father broke the bread for us and gave that bread to every one of us that we in turn as gifts to the multitude, that peace be multiplied and the gospel of grace be applied through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you think about the word took, that bread applies to us as well because the Lord Jesus Christ talks about us. And Paul describes, though we being many are one loaf of bread. That one loaf contains wheat from all across the world, different kinds, different color, different culture. And yet when you look at that bread, it is one bread, one loaf. And when you break it up, though different and though Varied in size as you break it, and yet they come together in the unity of that oneness. And what is so beautiful is this is what the Lord does. He gives us, the Father selects us 
because of what Jesus did. He blesses us, that's the bread we are, and then is the principle of brokenness so we could be used of God. He breaks us and then he gives us that we in turn would be able to be multiplied, to be peace to many, that we would be joy to many, that we would bring forth the righteousness of Jesus. We become what Matthew, uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, become witnesses of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think about what he does, he chose that bread and listen. Everyone here, and in the sound of my voice, if you know Jesus Christ, and you say, Jesus is Lord, it is by the Spirit of God you are saying this. Without that, you wouldn't be saying that. That's a divine revelation. But God chose you, and I want you to understand, you did not choose him, he chose you. When you turn to John chapter 15 and verse 16, the words of Jesus Christ is very strong. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you that you might bring forth much fruit. Chosen is a very important word. That's going all the way back to the Old Testament. You can find that in the book of Exodus. Chosen to be priests and kings. But in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, he's telling the Old Testament people, I have chosen you to be a peculiar people. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 2, he's saying the same thing to the Old Testament people. But when you come to the New Testament, the finality of that choosing, it comes about God chose that one man, Abraham, was just a Syrian, a wanderer from that great empire of Mesopotamia. And yet God chose one who was a heathen, one who was a pagan, and one who was a Syrian, and then called him, and a Hebrew came about through the process. He wasn't born a Hebrew. And through him, God said, I'm going to bless you, and through you, the nations of the world. And that line was preserved only for this, that the Redeemer, the living bread, would come, and he would be spread unto all the world. And you find Jesus this, that does come from the race and from the tribe and coming all the way specifically from Judah and then from David, and you can see spread throughout the world. But when you look at what God writes about the New Testament believers, look at the way in which uh, it's wonderfully written in, by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show for the praises, show for the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has chosen you. God has called you. You might feel outside the pale of God's salvation. And there was a man who basically would never have made it like the great men of the yesterdays in the Old Testament. They were just nobodies. You want to call about Abraham or Jacob or Isaac or David. They were just nobody until God reached out to them and God chose them and they followed him. In the New Testament, as it was grace in the Old, grace now is more defined in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says, law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus, the fullness of everything. So when you go into this passage, a man that would have been counted out, a murderer, what would be the first terrorist, you find this man who was so keen, zealous, or I would say fanatic, thinking he was doing God a favor by persecuting and jailing the Christians. And in fact, he boasted of one that was a Pharisee of the Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. But after coming to the Lord, he said that was nothing compared to the greatness of God who chose him. What a wonderful way God chose him as he was riding his, high, his horse high and mighty and many need to fall down as he did when he saw the light. But what is so powerful is when he was blinded by the light, waiting and seeking in that time of brokenness, God spoke to Ananias and told him, told him that he should go out and lay his hands and pray for Saul. Uh, like many of us, we try to advise God like God needs a counselor. Okay, God, there's a mistake here. You don't understand. This Saul is a real murderer. He's a persecutor. He's worse than ISIS. He's a terrible guy. But I want you to understand, God reached out to Ananias and told him about this man. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and verse 16. God is speaking to Ananias, and the Lord said, go your way. He, that is Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. But that chosen is not a sense of pride. Remember in chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, I talked about three times he cried for healing. Three times God said no because God wanted him to depend less on him, lest he become proud and fade away. But I want you to understand, when you go back to Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, look at what 16 says, a sense of brokenness, and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake, one of the greatest of all the apostles. But that was the intensity of his brokenness. When you hear and see what he is going through in, as you read that writings, particularly in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and the things that he had to go through. And chapter 12 is uh, an eye-opener about what it talks about, this principle of brokenness. But I would say this, God chose us not as an haphazard, not simply, oh, okay, as a fourth, uh, afterthought. No, it was a forethought of God. What I mean is, my friend, listen to what Ephesians chapter 1 verse says, before the foundation of the world. Let's read that, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. It is so powerful. It says, according, he has chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame, before him in love. Chosen before, not an afterthought. Oh, okay, now I will try to choose them. No, he chose us even before the whole world was in his mind. You were in his mind. You were in his plan. It's not an afterthought. You might say, you don't understand the circumstances in which I was born. I was born in this. I was born in a mistake, my friend. There's no mistake with you. God chose you. So he took the bread. And every time we take that bread, remind ourselves, 
God chose Jesus for us. God chose you for God. Now let's go to the second word. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. He took the bread and he lifted up his eyes in other passages. Here he blessed the bread, God. So this is a thanksgiving. It's a blessing. So that is what you are called by God, chosen by God to be a blessing. Chosen of God to be blessed, to be a blessing. That is awesome. I want you to understand, the New Testament talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And listen to what he says. It is so powerful. Blessed be God. Number one, that's where the source of our blessing is. Blessed be Yahweh and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Past. Who has blessed us. He's already blessed us. Not going to. He's blessed us because of Jesus. Like he's accepted us. Like he's adopted us. And like he chose us. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hold it. Only spiritual. I want you to understand the difference. In the New Testament, you are blessed in the spiritual. And that is to say, in Christ Jesus, of all that he does, comes by way of spirit, then into your soul, emotion, and mind, then into your body, and then in the outer circumstances, whether financial, positionally, everything else. Compared to the Old Testament, and what happens in the Old Testament is they are blessed first in the natural. So their blessing is suddenly there's no rain. And then they go and pray, Father, let there be rain. And if my people call by name, and then he will bring the rain. Repent, they would repent. So suddenly they didn't have children. Suddenly they find the, there's no bumper crops. Uh, there's no money. All of this fades, then they seek the Lord. So natural blessings... Uh, natural calamities all come to a place where they realize, I need to go to prayer. So when you look at Israel, it's the natural, real war, real substance. And then by which they are able to give thanks in the spirit, comes to the temple and say, I've been blessed. I've got a promotion. I'm grateful to God. So from the natural flows within to come and say, I've been blessed. Look what I have. And I'm going to be faithful. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 again. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to open your heart and understand this. Yes, he's blessing you in the natural. Yes, he's blessing you physically, but not from the out. And then inside, it is from the inside to the outside. It comes in your spirit. The born again simply means you were once dead. Now you are alive. You are born again and your spirit is quickened. When God speaks to you, it's not in the outer circumstances, a thunder, a lightning. Oh, God is angry. God speaks to you spirit to spirit. Deep at God. Spirit calls deep into the spirit. He speaks to you by the Holy Spirit in your spirit. And your blessings come this way. 
You don't need to look at the outward to know, oh my God, I'm dry. You know it inside when your walk is not right with God. You come to a place where you realize, my God, I've been blessed in the Spirit. It comes into your emotions and into your mind, soul, and then it goes into your body, into what would be the health of your life, and then goes out into financial, into positional blessings in your position. Not from out, oh, I'm blessed, now I have to give thanks to God. I am blessed in my spirit, and now I am blessed in my soul, and now I am blessed in my body, I am blessed in my finance. I am faithful to God. He has blessed me. And that is the blessings of the past. And so what I want you to understand is, our blessings come from heavenly places in all spiritual blessings, translate then from spiritual to the soul, from the soul to the body, from the body to the others. I want you to understand the olden days to start a car, you got to go outside and start basically outwardly pumping up or spinning up that little thing, gizmo, to get the car started. And many people feel in order to worship, oh, hallelujah. And then I come to a place, my friend, no, it starts in the spirit. And the reason you're jumping, you're screaming, is not just to praise God. You have already praised God in the spirit, and you are shouting, it's manifested in the outside. It's manifested in the soul. Some people are soul worship. Hoping to get into the spirit. My friend, it must be spirit worship, translating to soul worship, and into the physical with all your spirit, soul, and body. And your love is deep down in your spirit, goes into your emotion, goes into your mind, goes into the outward in every aspect. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings. You know, this is a very powerful word. God takes chose you, and then he blesses you. That is how it begins, the very first man and woman. You find in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 22, listen to the words, and God blessed them before anything else. He blessed them, saying, be fruitful, multiply, and so the blessing first. When you look at how the blessing comes from a man that God chose, uh, just a stranger, from an empire and the greatest empire, but God called him. And when you read Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, listen how specifically he says. He says, I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And through you, verse 3 says, Nations of the earth will be blessed. Families of the earth will be blessed. So this blessing was for the families, not one, not just one nation or one Western nation. Across the world, nations and families would be blessed. And that was the reason God chose Abraham. That comes into what would be Jesus Christ, the blessing he is what would be the deepest desire, the desire of all nation. So when you look at this amazing aspect, it is again uh, basically reinstated in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18. In this passage, listen to what God says. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. 
And again, Paul is, uh, Peter is reminding his audience in chapter, Acts chapter 3 and verse 25, look how he states this. He says, and you are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, that thy seed shall the kindreds, not one nation called Israel, not one nation called American Christians, in thee shall all the kindreds, so the families or the ethnos of the world be blessed. God desires that the world would be blessed through the one that would come through Abraham, David, that comes in the name of the Lord. I want us to understand it is very powerful, particularly when you realize this blessing is carried on. And when you realize this blessing is actuality to us today, the blessings of Abraham, uh, when you read Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, look at what and how it starts with. Not Abraham. It's because of that one person you blessed in all spiritual blessings, places in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But here, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. We should have been on that tree. We should have been cursed. But he was broken for us. I will come to that in just a moment. But it says here, why? In verse 14, listen to this. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through the point and the link is only because of Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Not simply the blessings of Abraham, but the promise of the Spirit as well through faith because of Jesus. And we must be able to speak it out and speak it and confess it. You know, many a times people tend to think, oh, I need to leave halfway through the service. Wait for it. There's a word called benediction. The sermon may be long. Benediction is only one minute or a few seconds. Wait for it. I would tell you this. In the olden days, the camp of Israel would stand outside their camp. They would not leave until that final word they heard. It was at that moment Aaron, the high priest, would lift up his hand. And he would benedict. The word diction is speak out loud. And the benny is blessing. Speak out blessing. Now this is the Old Testament, but I'm going to tell you this is only a foundation to what would be ultimate blessing that comes in Jesus. So God had told Moses and he instructed Aaron, his brother, to speak the blessing that they would be blessed. That they're going to get blessing. That God's face would be kind on them. In the New Testament, we don't have to conjoin God. It's already done. He's blessed you. But let's go to benediction. Aaron would stand after finishing the sacrifice. 
he would lift up his hand, and what exactly would he say? Benediction, what exactly blessing would he dictate or speak out? Numbers chapter 6, from verse 24 to verse 27. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The New Testament, really the Lord blesses, blessed you already. And the Lord keeps you. We're only reiterating what God has already done if you didn't know. Verse 25. The next verse, the Lord make his face shine upon you. I know we don't deserve it. But when God looks down at you, he's not angry because there's someone he sees through you, Jesus Christ. His countenance shines upon Jesus and through him shines upon you. Goes on to say, may the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord is gracious to you because of Jesus Christ. We reiterate, God is gracious. The next, in verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord's countenance is already lifted up because of what Jesus did on the cross, paid the full price. And the fact, my friend, he is the peace, you have that peace. And when you leave the congregation, pass the peace as we would do in the old church and then pass this from the, from the Lord to the, to the minister, to the people, and then you pass the peace, the Prince of Peace to others. You pass the peace of God to others as well, that they would have the peace with God, peace with themselves, and peace with others. That comes through Jesus. So I want you to understand a very important component of this is we speak that blessing. And we realize this is a blessing that God has given to us. It is very powerful. You know, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, Paul writes to the Corinthians, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that, you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good word. What a blessing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31, look at the way in which Paul concludes this last epistle. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31 the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, know that I lie. That is, you are blessed because of what Jesus did. Let's just come to the third one. This is important. So Jesus took the bread. He blessed it. Jesus, our Lord, has taken you. Jesus, our Lord, has blessed you. And then something happens. That's exactly what the Father did with the Lord Jesus. But what we go through breaking is not exactly what Jesus, he was once and for all broken for bringing salvation. I'll come to that in just a moment. But I want you to understand, let's going back to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26 about what he does in breaking. The Bible says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, took, Jesus blessed it, blessed, and Jesus break it. We'll come to give and uh, multiply later. Jesus took the bread and broke it. The Father took the bread, the living bread, chose 
blessed and broke it for you. He was broken for us. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 5, 53 and verse 5, for our transgressions, for our iniquity, he was chastised and finally stripped for our healing and for our peace. But I want you to realize something. Let's begin with the Lord Jesus before we, we talk about why we need to be broken so it'd be less of ourselves and more of us, that we would empty ourselves, and that's what brokenness simply means as we repent, as we break before the cross, as we break down before the stone, simply not that we would be destroyed into powder, that we would be filled with more of the goodness of God. So when you look at the life of Jesus, I want you to realize the way Hebrews chapter 11 talks about these great men, but all that being said in the heroes of faith, they all looked to someone either by faith before and now we look by faith after the cross. Looking into what the writer of Hebrews says, in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, and listen to what it says, who for the joy that was set before him, joy for thing that was set, what joy? The joy of being broken, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But turn to verse 3 to talk about the contradiction. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest to be wedded and faint in your mind. What a strange contradiction. If you be the son of God, come down. You heal others. Why can't you heal yourself? You can do all things. Why come down then? He chose no to. He chose not to. He could, he could have just figured and legions would have destroyed and put the planet and the entire space and the entire cosmic into oblivion. He chose not to. He was willing to be broken for you and for me. What I find is he being the word became flesh. That all things were made by him. Nothing was made without him. And yet learned obedience by the things he suffered in his own life. Reviled, spat upon, beaten, abused. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says. Though he were a son, capital S, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered. He suffered. You are suffering. He knows everything about suffering. You hurt. He's been hurt. He knows everything about being hurt. You have such a one in heaven that feels like you feel, that hurts like you hurt, and cry like you cried. In fact, the shortest verse is Jesus wept. Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus was dead. Jesus profusely wept. He was a man of joy and yet a man of grief.
He was a man of full heart and yet a broken heart. Divine contradiction. One that created the world could have destroyed the world, could have broken the world, but he was broken. Jesus was broken. Jesus was broken heart so he could mend the broken in hearts. He's not someone sitting up there who has no feeling. He has feeling for you. What I want you to understand is that the choosing is a very powerful word. In this time of communion, we're reminded again what he did for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, Paul writing to the Corinth church says, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread. He said, take eat, this is my body. Excuse me, the bread. But he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Think about it. The Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Almighty, and yet the Bible says, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. I want you to realize we've been studying about brokenness and the principle of brokenness when we realize the amazing aspect of this principle that is mentioned in the miracles, whether you find in Matthew chapter 14, verse 19, whether you find in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, whether you find in Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, Luke chapter 24 and verse 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse uh, 24, all of this is speaking about the bread that is broken or speaking about the miracle that the bread that was blessed, broken, could be given to those that were hungry. But I want you to understand that's the principle that you find in the Old Testament. I say I was a person like you and me, but in this case, was in the temple. He's been there many times. But in a very profound day, he was broken. Because the uncle, the king, Uzziah had died, he loved this man. And his life was torn, his life was broken. And he goes into the temple, but this was not like any other day. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 says, In the day King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He is high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. The angels cry, holy. You didn't know this, Isaiah? Never knew this until something broke in my life. Joshua had a great privilege of following Moses. Moses died. They spent a protracted number of days in mourning for Moses. And so when you turn to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 2, God is saying, Joshua, get up. In a time of brokenness, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, arise, go to Jordan, that is, die there under, thou and all your people under the land which I give you, even to the children, every place your foot shall stand upon. It is in a time of brokenness, in a time of mourning. Suddenly the words of taking this land. When you look into this passage after passage, you're going to realize, my God, what a power, what powerful words. It begins in a way where we come to a place of humility, 
of repentance, brokenness, that we begin to listen to God. In a communion, it's a time of very contemplative, very important. Somehow, the ancient church used to prize communion more than preaching and anything else. All of the litany and the lit all of the things that took place centered in the center was the communion. Today, it is just happens, it just passes over. Pulpit is the big deal. I want to realize the communion was so important because that time to ponder and repent. When you look at the amazing aspect of these principles played out, it is very powerful. We come to a place of humility. Look at what Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 4 talks about. Humility comes uh, uh, fear of the Lord and honor of life by humility. New Testament talks about it in James chapter 4 and verse 6. And very important for us to realize, a brokenness is the time we give more grace. Wherefore he said, God receives the power, but gives grace unto the humble. Every one of the great men in the Bible had a sense of brokenness for them to hear. I talked at length about what would be Paul, but let me just say something that we need to realize I basically we're doing in the wilderness experience with Elijah. I did it with uh, David on Wednesday. But what is so profound is it is in the wilderness after a great victory that he comes to that brokenness when he said it's over. God says nothing is over. But I want to realize something very important when you read uh, in a particular passage in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 14, two people are in a state of brokenness. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the battle of meat shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sent rain upon the earth. Here is Elijah, he had to depend on a raven. Have you had to humble yourself? Raven don't give good food. They eat it. They're scavengers. But the prophet had to learn that when God gives, God can give through any means, even a raven. Humble yourself. A mighty prophet, before he could stand upon Mount Carmel, learns the principle of humility. And then secondly, here's a widow woman with just one son with one meal that's their last meal they're about to be broken die and yet the principle that he learns and she experiences brokenness comes life brokenness comes oil and bread to survive all through right up to the pandemic oh, I would say when the rain came wasn't it amazing that God sustained them, the testimony of so many people that have gone through the pandemic in these difficult times. What I find significant, my friend, is the Lord Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it, and then he breaks it. You know, a few principles that we can learn, and this is the beginning of beatitudes, of blessedness in the Bible. There's a few blessedness, and that's how Jesus, our Lord, speaks the Sermon of the Mount. And on that mount, he uses these words, and the first word that he pronounced is from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Totally broken in spirit. I mean, you can do all the penance outwardly, but are you broken in your spirit?
The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Secondly, we find this principle enunciated every time we partake of the communion. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. This is my body, which is broken for you. Why? Isaiah talks about it. Well, let's just go to the other one. And what I find is, here is a woman. I mean, she has a checkered past. And yet she comes to a place of total surrender. And I'm invited into a home of Simon, the Pharisee. They're very judgmental. Sometimes the religious people are the worst of the worst. So in the supper, it's a show. Telling everyone, oh, I've got this big talk in town, this big miracle worker in town, this great man in town, to make a name. But she slips somehow. And when you turn to Mark chapter 7, verse 37 and verse 38, behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat, in the Pharisees or brought an alabaster box of ointment. I wanted to realize she would have been stoned. She would have been stunned, not by the public, by the Pharisees, religious people. She somehow stole her way and just went running at the feet of Jesus. They would have sprang at her. Jesus said nothing. And in their mind, if he was a prophet, wouldn't he have known she was a sinner? Jesus knew because Jesus reached the heart more than the outward. She was transformed. What she does is exactly what this alabaster, everything she was, is in that alabaster box, broken, a life that is broken and poured out at the feet of the Lord Jesus. I like the way that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And this is what he says about that fragrance that comes out of a broken life. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, listen to the words he says, Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make it manifest the savor or the fragrance of his knowledge in every place, wherever she went. Those who knew the Lord would say, wow, a fragrance. It doesn't matter what your past is. It matters what your future is if you know what you're present when you're able to break and repent and let Jesus come into your life. It's the Pharisees and the religious people who shun the Lord or the kingdom of God. As in the Old Testament, it's the same in the New Testament. I find this so powerful because when you go into these passages, you're going to find something very interesting. There's something I wanted to understand that Isaiah learned. Isaiah is a prophet. You know, many a times preachers can be very condemnatory. If you hear preachers talking, Cinnamon! Forgetting that three fingers directly point at him. One finger. It's heavy, condemnatory repeating. And people love this. Oh, the pastor needs to beat us. Excuse me, the devil is beating you. Why should we want the pastor to beat the crap out of you? 
We are here to equip you and build you through Jesus because lives are broken and people are come to a spiritual hospital. I want you to realize what's so amazing is look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 8. Look at the words. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, that there be no place. They may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Woe unto you! Until Isaiah saw the majesty of God in the next chapter. When King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, he's high and lifted up. When I saw him, I saw myself, how unclean I am. And chapter 6 and verse 5, he says, Woe unto me, for I am undone. That is brokenness. When you see yourself, that is communion. Communion is not examining your fellow man. You know, how could she sit here and break bread? Look at the color of her hair. Yeah, God looks at your heart, not your hair. God wants to see what's inside. Look at me. I wear the cross. I carry a big, excuse me, you should do all of that, but I carry a big Bible. I've done everything. Look at her. Look at him. God is looking at him just as he looks at you. He wants to know what's in your heart. Isaiah says, woe unto me, I'm undone. My lips are unclean. And then he heard the words of God. Who will go? You see, before that, a seraph, God sent an angel and touched his tongue so he would speak forth and enunciate the word of God. Isaiah has learned something very profound. Isaiah comes to one of the most amazing passages. And as we ponder before we take communion, I want you to realize this most amazing passage that he writes. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, he says, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arms of the Lord revealed? Then he is talking about this awesome person. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root taken out of the ground. He had no form. Yet he is full of form, but look at the contradiction. No comeliness. Where we shall see in him, there's no beauty. Of course he's beautiful. Of course he's calm, that we should desire him. He is the desire of all nations. Look at the contradiction he becomes. Why? Wait for a moment. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow. He's a man of joy. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, and yet a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, but there's such happiness in him, and yet acquainted. What a divine contradiction. And we hid as what, is what our faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne like, you know, the creatures of the weight carries the weight. 
He's borne our griefs. That's what he did. Took it all the way to Calvary. Took it all the way to the cross. Bore that heavy, heavy, heavy burden of curse, shame, condemnation, sin, iniquity, transgressions. And the Bible says, and carried our sorrows. Not only bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him. Stricken, smitten of God, excuse me, broken of God and afflicted. Why? Verse 5 tells us, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised that we would have peace. And with the stripes, we are healed. Salvation to the full, peace that passeth all understanding, healing of the spirit, soul, and body. As you take this bread, I want you to stand. Take this bread. Now I'm going to ask you to do something that we are told in a First Corinthians chapter 11. From verse 23 begins this awesome passage about the communion. But I'm going to ask you to turn with me to chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and read verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless. I'm going to bless this cup. But I want you to bless this cup. The cup Jesus drank was a cup of dregs of pain, of curse, of grief. And there's an exchange that took place where he took the cup we should be drinking. He gives us a cup of blessing. But I want you to listen carefully. It is a cup we bless. I'm going to bless this cup, but maybe you need spiritual blessing. Bless spiritual blessing on this cup. You're going to drink it. Maybe you are going through a process of brokenness and you want healing. Bless this cup, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. By his stripes, I'm healed. Maybe you are going through stress, worry, fear, anxiety attack. No matter what you are going through, bless this cup, the cup of peace. Jesus gave this cup to you. The cup which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? It is. Jesus paid it all. And then the bread which we break. Before you partake of the bread, break the bread. Reminds you, no, not a bone of him was broken, but he was broken. His heart was broken. His spirit was broken. For you and for me, that we would be mended. The cup which we bless, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ here and wherever you are as you take up this bread? I'm praying and I'm blessing this cup and breaking this bread. You do the same because you are blessed, because you're accepted in the beloved through Jesus, because you are loved by God through Jesus. You have the peace of God because of Jesus. 
and you have the healing of God through Jesus. The cup of blessing, our Father. Let this cup be blessed as we drink. We're reminded of the blessing that comes from Calvary's cross. Bless this cup in Jesus' name that I would be blessed with all of the manifestation of the blessing. Bless the Lord of my soul, all that is within me. Blessing of salvation, blessing of healing, and blessings all around. And Father, thank you for the bread that we break. We thank you. And I pray this blessing upon your people, even for everyone for whom Jesus shed his blood. Blessings in the spirit, soul, body, and in every aspect because of what Jesus did inside and then flows outside. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places through Jesus. We receive it in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.